As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Football and Grits, your SEC-centric podcast here on The Athletic. I'm your host, Aaron Suttles. It's Tuesday. It's a post-Thanksgiving Day show, so a couple questions for you before you get rolling. You guys are usually the ones asking me the questions, but I got some questions for you guys. One, did you eat too much turkey? Did you get enough to eat last weekend? It wasn't a full slate of football games because there was a lot of cancellations, but we did get the traditional... Football games that we we normally we normally get now we, we would all love here in the SEC to get the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving. I think that's a, a game that we always love watching after you've uh, all the the trip to fan is set in with the turkey. You've uh, you've you've gorged yourself and then you sit down and you watch some good old fashioned hate that <laughs> Ole Miss and Mississippi State provide. But we didn't get that on Turkey Day this year, but we did get it Saturday, and we'll talk a little bit about that game um, going forward. And, and the second question I have is: Do you have a tree up? Um, has, uh, has your spouse, your partner, uh, have you, uh, decorated the home for Christmas? Because all of a sudden we're here, it's December 1st and we are coming incredibly close to the end of the season. It just, it's all of our calendars are messed up, right? I mean, the, the iron bowl, the, the rivalry games fell on their traditional day, the Thanksgiving weekend, but we still got football to go. So it's, it's just chalk it up to 2020 another weird year i want to thank you guys for for listening this year as always as i I do every week i ask you for a kindness i ask you to go please rate review and subscribe to football and grits wherever you get your podcast that helps us get our podcast out in front of more people new listeners Um, and we want more people to enjoy the content that we create here at the the athletic like you guys do and hopefully you guys are enjoying it um that's uh some, some stuff I want to get into today, uh, having covered the Iron Bowl and uh, Alabama's 42-13 to 13 win over Auburn, I came away from that game really um, focusing on, on one particular player, and that's Devontae Smith. Um, the way that Steve Sarkeesian uses him in the Alabama offense, and not just the way that they use him, but how much they're using him. And the one question 
I, I had, and we all sort of think about this as as sports fans, particularly when we saw Jalen Waddle go down, is um, Alabama can't afford to lose Devontae Smith. I mean, that's increasingly um, more evident as we watch this team play. It's also increasingly more evident that Devontae Smith is usually the best football player on the field. Um, I know some people, some analysts have argued, I know uh, Joel Klatt at Fox has argued, some other people have argued that Najee Harris is Alabama's best football player. Uh, Najee Harris is phenomenal. Um, Najee Harris is a is a great football player. But Devontae Smith is the best player on that team. And um, the way Alabama's been using him of late, and, and I think we, we look at this with a critical eye because we know that Jalen Waddell is out. And... You know, I, I did some numbers on my on my weekly subtle thoughts, um, which is sort of just a, a look back at what what game just transpired. Some things that stood out to me, some things I want to point out to you guys, and and sometimes occasionally to look forward. Before Jalen Waddle's injury, now remember he got injured on the opening kickoff of Tennessee, so he didn't play the Tennessee game. He had a kickoff, but he didn't play one single snap on offense. So he, we're going to take that game. He didn't play. So we've had four games. Alabama's played eight games. They, they played four games with a healthy Jalen Waddle, and they've played four games without him. In the games before Jalen Waddle got hurt, Devontae Smith accounted for 30% of the passing offense, which is a healthy chunk, 30%. Now, I remember at the beginning of the season, you know, Alabama, particularly against Texas A&M, John Mechie had that breakout game, and we were thinking, well, this is, this is a three-headed wide receiving group. Um with Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and John Mechie, how difficult that was going to be to four defensive coordinators. If you want to load up and take Smitty away, okay, they can beat you with Waddle. If you want to try to take both of them away, then you're very thin, and Mechie's going to beat you over the top. And that's the, they were all three deep threats. So pre-Waddle's injury, Devontae Smith accounts for 30% of Alabama's passing offense. Since his injury... In the four games without Jalen Waddle, that totals up to 46%. Now, that's sort of – some people might scratch their head and, and look at me and say, well, why do you find that curious? It's not that I find it curious. I find it um, – it makes sense, right, in, in some respects, that, that he's going to pick up for whatever Jalen Waddle lost. I would have thought that John Mechie would have taken some of that load too, and that's just not true. John Mechie's numbers aren't, aren't markedly different from – uh, the pre-Waddle injury to post-Waddle injury. It's just they're they're using Devontae Smith more now. And with Waddle's injury, we're seeing now Devontae Smith returning punts. And it's sort of a question of, are they using him too much? Which is a silly question in, in, in one regard because the offensive coordinator's job, a, a team's, any coach's job, is to get the ball to their best player. Get the ball to their best player. I thought Lane Kiffin, when he was at Alabama, did that. There's no better example of that than the 2014 season where they fed Amari Cooper. They knew that Amari Cooper was their best player, and they fed him. They just fed him over and over and over again. So, um, But you do worry about the use of Devontae Smith because you can't, you can't afford to have him injured. But Nick Saban doesn't think like an average fan. He doesn't see... He doesn't weigh the risk of uh, my players at more risk on a punt return or a kick return. It's it's about it's football, and we're going to go make some plays. So it's just something I was interested in. 
Um, I also got a story on Jalil Billingsley coming out. Maybe he can lift some of that burden off Devontae Smith's shoulder. I think we've heard a lot about Javon Baker um, in the offseason. Where has he been? Um, does John Mechie step up? Um, it, it just We've seen a lot of Devontae Smith. And the reason I'm even bringing this up is because if we're really voting for Heisman Trophy for best players, the candidate from Alabama would be Devontae Smith. I mean, he's he's the best player on that team, at least offensively. But we are all also realists, and we understand how the award works. And it's a quarterback award. And so Alabama's best chance to be competitive in the Heisman Trophy is Mac Jones. And Mac Jones is worthy on his own accord. Um, you know, we had the silly... The silly back and forth from Alabama and Auburn last week from Bo Nix, and I don't think Bo Nix meant, meant this in a derogatory way or even in a dismissing way. I don't know. Listen to the interview. You make your own – form your own opinion. But it was sort of got out that he was a game manager. Now, I don't think that's an accurate description of Mac. I think he does that. I think any successful quarterback manages the game. If I can turn and throw a wide receiver screen to Devontae Smith and pick up 12 yards, I'm the idiot if I don't do it. But Mac Jones does that. I mean, he does that really well. But he also does other things. He has incredible pocket savviness. I want you to go back and watch the touchdown to Jaleel Billingsley where the pocket is collapsing around him. He's getting pressure from the edge. He steps up. Interior pressure is getting in his face, too. Never, his eyes never leave downfield. Throws a perfect strike to Jaleel Billingsley. I want you to go back and watch the touchdown pass he throws in, in the back of the end zone to John Mechie. Perfectly thrown ball. Now, those aren't... That's not game manager type throws. So while it's true that Mac Jones is a game manager, that is not all he is. And he, he deserves to be up for the Heisman Trophy on his own accord. But um, I think what's going to hurt Mac Jones and the Heisman is, is some people are going to vote for, for Devontae Smith. Some people are going to vote for Najee Harris. And I think the regional vote is really going to hurt uh, Mac Jones because you get into candidates like, I don't know, um, let's say that Ohio State does – play some more games, and Justin Fields rebounds from an Indiana performance, and he jumps back up to the top of the Heisman. There's no one in the region of the Midwest that's going to split votes, fragment votes away from Justin Fields. But in the South alone, you got three candidates from Alabama. you got Kyle Trask. you got Kyle Pitts at Florida. And then you got Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. Just in the South, that vote is going to be so fragmented, it's going to be very difficult for any of those guys to win it, although we all know what Kyle Trask is doing at Florida right now. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. How about SEC Coach of the Year? Where do you guys come down right now on SEC Coach of the Year. And I know when I said that, you probably automatically assumed, well, it's got to be Sam Pittman, right? I think I think yes. I do think Sam Pittman's going to win it based on what Arkansas has been, based on them breaking that really long SEC losing streak. But have you looked at Lane Kiffin? 
Lane Kiffin's got Ole Miss at four and four, guys. Caught fresh off a win in the Egg Bowl. Uh, Ole Miss is four and four. And I don't know that Lane Kiffin is getting enough credit um, for what he's done as the Rebels head coach. They're incredibly fun to watch. I know a, a large segment of the people who listen to this saw Ole Miss march up and down the field on Alabama all night long. And those people are also aware, well aware of what Lane Kiffin did while he was at Alabama. I think I do think Sam Pittman's going to win it. And when you think about it, Sam Pittman has a victory head-to-head over Lane Kiffin. But Ole Miss is right there. And I think it's a closer race for a coach of the year than many people would think. Of course, you know, this is voted on by, you know, there's multiple organizations that give this out. But the SEC awards, you know, some people have some opinions on Lane Kiffin and and it shouldn't play into it, into the voting. I think if you ask probably the, the coaches off the record, they probably have a little higher opinion of Sam Pittman. And Sam Pittman's done enough to win the award. I think he's going to win it. But I do think it, it, it warrants looking at what Lane Kiffin has done at Old Miss in his first year um, and, and really hasn't got a chance to recruit his guys to that program yet. Uh, Lane Kiffin is an incredible offensive coordinator. Um, time will tell whether Lane Kiffin develops into a great head coach, but he's off to a good start at Old Miss. Um, now, the thing is that makes it difficult for every coach is can you ma- maintain it and that's where we'll go. But two great candidates this year for SEC Coach of the Year. Who do you like? Um, you know, write in at Twitter at Aaron Suttles. Let me know who you got for SEC Coach of the Year. Um, one program that's not going to produce an SEC Coach of the Year this year is Tennessee. They are they're spiraling uh, right now, and and on and off the field. Uh, they just lost yesterday five star inside linebacker who has been committed to the Volunteers. Since April, Terrence Lewis, um, South Florida, they've lost him. So, you know, when you're building your program, sometimes the results on on the field are what get the fan base pumped up. <clears throat> and obviously that's what it's all about is on the field. But sometimes when you're building your program, even if you're not succeeding on the field, you can build a lot of excitement. You can gain, gain a lot of equity by your by your by the way you recruit. And remember, Tennessee, early this spring, was on fire. I mean, there were a couple of weeks there over the over the spring and, and maybe into the summer where we were talking about Tennessee recruiting. It felt like every day. It felt like it was a, co- a coordinated recruiting attack where they were just they were pulling high four stars. They got a five star. They're just they built a lot of momentum, and that's great if you sign all those guys. But so we've seen some decommitments, and now the play on the field has turned. So if you're from a Tennessee fan's perspective, you don't have the results on the field to get you excited about the future program. You just lost the, the most hyped recruit in this recruiting class, so you're not as high because it's, it's been a long time since spring. A lot of that momentum is worn off on the recruiting trail. Obviously, you can pick that back up in the way that you finish out the 2021 uh, recruiting class, but a lot of that momentum has gone, and maybe, maybe Jeremy Pruitt and that staff can get it back but, but the fans don't have the results on the field, and now they're not as feeling as good about the recruiting that's going on. So um, Jeremy Pruitt is up against it there, there in Tennessee, and 
Um, he's going to need a strong close to the year in both regards. Remember, it was last year when Tennessee won six straight to close the season, and then they go in the offseason, and they're hot on the recruiting trail, then they won their first two games of this season. And after that, he felt like, okay, this team's on the rise. And since then, they've hit, they've just hit an iceberg, and it's been really bad. Um, something that's going to be fun to watch toward the close of the season is this Texas A&M-Florida argument there in the college football playoff rankings. Um, Florida looks like the better team, but Texas A&M's got the head-to-head win. Um, Florida's going to be playing in their conference championship game unless Alabama trips up on the last two games of the season. Um, Texas A&M's going to be watching the SEC championship game. So it's going to be... It's going to be fascinating to watch how the voters handle that in, in Texas A&M's real chances if they don't get in the SEC championship game of crashing the college football playoff. If, if you know, if results stay the same, let's say, uh, let's say Alabama wins out. Alabama's definitely in there. I think if Clemson gets revenge on Notre Dame in the ACC championship game, game um, I think both of those two teams get in there. There's three. There's the drama at Ohio State, and will they – play enough games to qualify for the Big Ten championship game. If they're unbeaten and they play in the Big Ten championship game, I I don't see how you leave them out. Um, But if you do, what do you do with with Texas A&M that doesn't make the SEC championship game? I think it's fascinating how we're we're viewing these rankings right now because those two teams are so close to each other and because we have an on-the-field example we can metric that we can use. So we'll keep watch on that as well. And how about Nick Saban coaching from home? Uh, Nick Saban uh, obviously tested positive for COVID, did not coach in the Iron Bowl, watched it from home, watched the All-22 film, said he screamed at the television a couple times that Miss Terry, his wife, forgot he was home and she was wondering what that noise was. It's just, uh, wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall? Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall watching Nick Saban watching a football game where he can't yell into a headset or or dress down a coach on the sideline or or yell at an offensive lineman for jumping offside the fourth time in a game? Wouldn't you love that just to see how Nick Saban does it? Now, Nick Saban, what surprised me, Nick Saban admitted he had a couple chili dogs. I did not think Nick Saban was a chili dog type of guy, you know, where he's very famous for eating the same lunch every day, turkey salad. We all know that he has a couple little Debbie oatmeal cream pies in the morning with a cup of coffee and probably a sensible dinner. I did not expect to hear that Nick Saban was a chili dog guy. Now me, big chili dog guy. I'm sure my friend Andy Staples, big chili dog guy. I didn't think that Mr. Fit, Mr. Very <laughs> Health Conscious Nick Saban eats the same thing every day. Only only sort of allows himself a little cheat with the, the, the oatmeal cream pies. I did not expect him to power down a couple chili dogs. If you had to have guessed, before I told you that, if you had to guess what Nick Saban's like tailgate food was, I don't think anybody's going chili dogs. What would you have gone? You know, maybe... Uh, I can't even envision, envision Nick Saban eating ribs because they're so messy. He's just so put together all the time. That even when his hair is out of place, it, it, we notice it because he's just so put together. That I can't envision Nick Saban eating a plate of ribs. I'm sure he does. But me finding out that Nick Saban powered down, powered through a couple of chili dogs was shocking to me. I want to know what you, th- what do you think Nick Saban's best, like his go-to 
What would you have thought, in other words? If you had to have guessed, if you're guessing, what would Nick Saban's like tailgate food be? Hey, thanks, thanks for listening to the podcast. Coming up on Football and Grits on Wednesday, David Ubbin and Josh Kendall take you inside the SEC East. They'll give you updated on the South Carolina head football coaching search. David, uh, Josh Kendall, rather, is all over that. Thank you.